Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Water, water everywhere. Yo, yo, happy Friday, y'all. Uh, welcome back to Think Like Me or Don't. It's your choice, as always, although I prefer that you think like me. I mean, whatever. Um, uh, I'm going to say apologies, but I'm also going to hand the blame back to you as the listener for that incredibly creepy first call-in uh, comment. If I had more comments, then I wouldn't have to put the creepy ones in, although I do appreciate that particular one because it was sent to me on my birthday, and it was... Well, it does sound more creepy than it actually was. Anyway, uh, this episode is going to be kind of fun. Uh, I kind of went all, all over the place this week. Some fun little short, tiny segments and some longer segments. A lot of stuff that I wanted to say this week didn't, the say, record didn't save, which I think is actually good because it was rants that I didn't really like. Uh, there is one segment in here that I said in it, I was going to, I was hoping that I would have done something by the time this episode comes out, which I have not done. So I apologize if anybody's offended by that particular uh, segment, but at the same time, nobody's going to listen to this anyway, so it doesn't really matter. Um, that being said, I'll just turn it over to uh, earlier me, previous me. In fact, actually, before I do that, I do want to point out something. When I was in college, I read a book called The Possibility of Altruism. In fact, it's still here on my bookshelf. And it talks about, long story short, it's a long book, and it talks about it's possible to be altruistic because the way he defines it essentially is that the present self is actually a different person than future self. And for a long time, I thought that was very hypothetical, very philosophical, but not really practical until yesterday. And it hit me yesterday that it is, it's so true that the person that I am right now is different. It's a different person from the person that I will be in, let's say two hours time. Let me just tell you a quick story. I, uh, we were going out on a walk and I had this thought to myself, when I get back from walks, I'm always thirsty and I prefer cold water to room temperature water. And so in a, in a rare moment of thinking ahead and planning for the future, I took some water, filled it up from the, from the distilled water thing that we buy and put it in the fridge. And when I came back and I totally forgot about it, obviously we were gone for maybe 20 minutes and I totally forgot about it. When I came back, I opened the fridge. Oh, Hey, that's really cool. Past me actually cared about future me, which is the me right now. And the thing that's interesting about it is that I felt like past me was a different person that had taken into consideration the feelings of present me, which was kind of cool. So again, most people I think are better at thinking about the future them. You know, they're, they're better at planning for the future and not, not always being about instant gratification and, and like now, now, now. Um, I'm a little bit late to that particular game. Anyway, thought it was fun. Uh, and uh, shout out to my professor, who's again never going to hear this, but shout out to that uh, that class. That was one of my favorite classes. But um, anyway, so I'm going to turn it back over to earlier me. Speaking of which, earlier me, uh, this first segment uh, is a wick walk talking about consistently being willing and able to question yourself, not in a bad self doubt, always second guessing yourself way, but in the in the sense of being willing to accept that maybe the thing that's going wrong is you. Maybe the common denominator in things that are going wrong is you. So check it out. Peace. Yo, yo, yo. 
we're back with another wick walk thought it's true i do a lot of walking i do a lot of walking of wick normally i do a lot of thinking before during and after said walking of said wick so it just provides a lot of content for this podcast and i realized after listening to the last episode that I get distracted while I'm walking, so I'm going to try and do a better job of recording shorter clips instead of trying to make the recording last the whole walk. Just record something shorter, get the thought out, record it, and then be done. That way I'm not trying to extend it. Anyway, uh, what I wanted to talk about in this segment is actually something that I tried to record last night, but it didn't take because the app didn't save or I tried to save it at the wrong... Anyway, the whole whole thing. But it's, uh, it's basically, I, I, I got a new phone. And it's interesting how uh, your worldview in the context that you're in is influenced by more than you think. Because I realized yesterday when I got this new phone, the phone is awesome. It's really cool. And granted, it's probably only marginally cooler than the phone I had before. But for me that margin is in all the right places. So all the things, all the little things about having a mobile device that I've been craving since mobile devices became a thing, this is probably the closest I've ever been to the panacea of all those things. Now, the problem is I had not fully considered the consequences of using uh, a different kind of phone um, in the context of the phone plan. Because for a long time, I've been using a Google Pixel with Google Project Fi. Project Fi, if you don't know, is uh, Google's um, phone service. And Google's phone, that service is actually really cool. But the problem is, it doesn't play well with non-Google phones, which this new phone happens to be a non-Google phone. So now I'm presented with an, uh, uh, a bit of a contradiction, or not a contradiction, but an issue, which is the phone is what I want. The plan is now not what I want. Now, if you asked me three months ago, six months ago, even almost a year ago, whether T-Mobile or Google Fi was a better phone plan, I 100% without equivocation would have said Project Fi. And I still think Project Fi is a great phone plan. And I recommend it any chance I get. However, getting this new phone and realizing that the phone needed a better phone plan in order to work, there's a lot of technical reasons that you don't need to know about, but essentially Google 5 wants you to be on a Pixel phone. Um, instead of... So basically, I, you know, I just... I, now, because I have this phone that I really want to use... Suddenly, I'm considering other options because the context has now changed, right? Because now it's not just about the phone plan. It's about the phone and what comes with the phone. Additionally, the other really cool thing about it is in the time since I left, I I say left as though it's a thing to leave. In the time since I last used what I'll call a traditional phone plan when I was on AT&T, I had no qualms with AT&T. I loved their service. I was with them for seven, eight years, I want to say, um, and had no issues. Loved everything that they had, loved their service, and I would use them for internet, and their service is great. 
Um, but I left him for Project Phi at a time right before phone providers uh, caught on to sort of the, I'll, I'll call it the millennial effect of like using mobile devices where millennials aren't really interested in quabbling over small fees for this or that, little add-ons. I feel like the generation before us was more likely to spend more or less depending on specific features, whereas we just, we just want everything included. We're fine paying a little bit more. We just want everything included, and that's it. And it had, the T-Mobile and AT&T hadn't quite transitioned to that yet. And so when I switched to Google, it was kind of refreshing because their whole plan was, okay, it's um, 20 bucks a month for the phone service and it's 10 bucks a month per gig of data. And that's it. And if you travel abroad, your phone will still work, the number still works, um, and the, uh, the data is the same rate Still 10 bucks a month, or not 10 bucks a month, but 10 bucks per gig of data. Okay, and even recently, they did something crazy where they they changed the data plan so that you. It's I still don't quite understand how they're making money off it, but you pay for up to six gigs of data, and then they cover you from six until I think it's like 15, meaning if you you only pay for six gigs worth of data until you go until you get up to like 15 and then you pay for like the 15th and the 16th gig of data so it's this crazy like quasi unlimited plan but the idea being they'll you don't have to pay for the data that you don't use now everybody uses the data so that's that may have been a thing for a couple of months and it was a really good revolutionary idea but i think the whole the whole uh, ecosystem of mobile phones and mobile phone users has kind of moved beyond that being uh, being interesting. Um, and so now, now uh, the mobile phone plans. I did some research comparing AT and T and T Mobile, and oh my goodness! Moving back, first of all, switching back to T Mobile from well, not back to, but switching from Google Fi to T Mobile isn't going to cost me any more per month. Okay, but what it gets me is uh, unlimited data, truly unlimited data. Um, I think they slow down the data speeds at 15 gigs, but I've only been to 15 gigs like twice. Uh, and that was because I was streaming Netflix, and that's why it went over. Where Netflix, they don't they don't bill you for that. They don't charge you for streaming services like for um, uh, entertainment. So chances of me going about 15 gigs is virtually nil. Um, you also get free GoGo in-flight wireless, and you get uh, international data for free. I think I may have already said that. So when we travel to the UK, uh, calls and texts, well, calls will cost a little bit more, but texting um, and all use of data will be included in the 85 bucks a month that I'm paying for uh, the plan, right? So it's actually the exact same, if not a little bit cheaper. Um, plus, I get to use this phone and uh, don't have to worry about any of the specific little gotchas that have to do with that. So that's kind of cool. Um, 
And it's just interesting that, that I never even would have considered a phone plan like that because I was so indoctrinated into Google's phone. So I think it's interesting how I think the, the that's a sort of a micro example of a macro phenomenon. And I think the phenomenon is San Diego. The phenomenon is we, as humans, I think we have a psychological need for pattern and for uh, structure and for repeat, for things to kind of keep going the same way they've been going. We like that idea of habit. We like that idea of like a, a pattern, a, a plan, a structure. And so we're very uh, apt, very inclined, very strongly inclined, to, um, to, to stay within our current thought process as opposed to expanding the way that we think about things to include what could be ever-changing, ever-molding, ever-modifying criteria and context. And I think, you know, it's probably faster, it's probably more efficient from, a, uh, from uh, the standpoint of realism from the standpoint of actually living in society to make the, you know, to take those shortcuts and just assume that things are the way they were before but I think it's healthy every once in a while to take stock of your assumptions and I don't know if it's necessary that you have some sort of catalyst to do so like I did with this phone where getting a new phone caused me to reconsider my, my other beliefs but I think either way it makes sense for I think it makes sense to regularly question your own uh, assumptions and your own beliefs and your own worldviews because I think that can only lead to a healthier, you know, out. Oh, this phone is telling me I got some updates due on my Galaxy. That was a poorly timed interruption, Samsung. I was just building to a great emotional point. The point is, take some time, maybe like after this episode or now, pause the episode and do it now, and think, what, what things, and it, I'm not even talking about like grand, vast, religious or philosophical things, maybe just like, how do you deal with your phone, right? How do you, what are the assumptions that you make about the way your car works? What are your assumptions that you make about... <laughs> What are the assumptions that you make about how diseases work? How uh, your body reacts to certain things? Like, What are the assumptions that you base a large percentage of your life on? And are those true? Like, really question yourself. Um, I think that, that the creating, creating regular uh, opportunities for you to question your own beliefs is not only healthy, I think it's necessary. So that's what I'd recommend before you listen to the next segment, which I haven't recorded yet, so I don't know what it is. Go and uh, do some questioning. And then like, put some time on your calendar to do it regularly, because I think it's healthy. Anyway, peace out. Hope you enjoyed that. Uh, the next couple of segments are Wickwalk thoughts, but they're short. In fact, the second one is really short. So uh, check it out.
What's up, everybody? This is going to be another wick walk thought. This is my this one's going to be my attempt at actually making a short one of these. Um, but there's a thought that I've had for quite some time um, that. Uh, that kind of manifested itself in an interesting way today. And that is, um, I didn't even really come up with a good way of talking about it, describing sort of the concept, but um, it has to do with going beyond expectations, like exceeding expectations. Um, Sue had an interesting experience today where she... Uh, discovered, it was brought to her attention out after the fact that she had already basically signed off work. She was going back through and checking what she had done um, and she noticed that one of the jobs that she had, the cases she'd completed, came back uh, as with a comment, with an error. And she, I won't go into all the details, but she essentially took that data and was like, hmm, I'm going to go I'm going to go check some things. Now, she was done with work at this point. She was off. And I think the standard response at that juncture would have been, I'm done, I'm out, I'll deal with it in the morning, or someone else will deal with it later. Um, because she knew that she had like, she had followed her um, protocol. She'd done everything she was supposed to. But there was still an error, which meant that there was probably some... Somebody else, some other team had probably made a mistake. Well, she went and did the research, found out which team had done, made the mistake, and also went as far as to find out uh, who the client was that had gotten the wrong information and, and who the client was supposed to be in those, in those situations. So, like, basically, what, who had been affected. Um, and I think the more important thing is that she was concerned about the client in that situation. Even though the client really has no bearing on her job, she didn't do anything wrong. But she, there was a bit of time today where she was very concerned because she didn't, she wanted to, there to be resolution, but everybody else had already signed off for the day. And it, <clears throat> it kind of breaks my heart with her because she, I tell her all this all the time, but she is the type of um, employee that does that, that cares and exceeds, drastically exceeds expectations, but never considers herself as having even met expectations. I mean, for the most part, she knows she does a good job, but I think it's hard for her to, to realize that. And so even the fact that she, there was a mistake that was made, it was not her mistake, but still she felt responsible enough to go and do some additional research and find out what the problem was. And I think my experience has been I have a tendency to take the same route. Um, I try and go, if I'm going to do anything, I try and do it perfect and right. And I go all the way. And I think no, that's a fairly rare thing to see these days. Um, and I, I, I wish I saw more people, more consultants, more business owners going above and beyond and exceeding the expectation um, just because... And I think too often we don't do that. So just a cool little experience.
What's up and welcome to a brand new segment of this podcast called I Just Saw Someone That Looks Like the Older Version of Someone That I've Seen Before, where I just tell you that I saw someone that looks like the older version of a person that I've seen before. That was a lame intro. Uh, Yeah, I just saw a lady that uh, is probably exactly like what Ariana Grande is going to look like in 30 years. Just saying. Hey, what's up? I hope you enjoyed that. Yeah, that I remember that day walking and it was one of those like it was a slow grow, if that makes sense. Meaning I saw her like 20 feet away, 50 feet away or whatever it was. And I was like, is that that could definitely be Ariana Grande. And then she got closer. And I was like, no, she's too old for that. And then I was like, I legitimately had the thought like this was a sequence of thoughts. First, that looks like Ariana Grande. Second, it might actually be Ariana Grande. Third, no, she's too old. Fourth, maybe she came back from the future. And then I was like, okay, we're getting a little crazy here. Uh, but even as she got closer, I noticed that she it, it didn't go away. Like I, I definitely thought that. Anyway, I've now taken more time explaining the thing than it actually took for me to say the thing. So anyway, um, this next segment uh, is about loyalty. And there's a part in it where I say, I wish, I hope that by the time this episode comes out that I've had the balls to go and talk to some people directly instead of doing it this way. In all honesty, I don't expect anyone to listen to this. And so if they do, and they happen to be the people that I'm talking to in this next segment, I apologize for not having the backbone to talk to you directly. Um, I could say it's a timing thing. I have a lot of stuff going on in the business right now. and didn't have time to deal with the emotions of it, but it's more just that I don't, I, I don't have the stomach for that type of confrontation just yet. Working on it, working on it, but I don't have it. So uh, check it out. If you're not interested in listening to me rant and and call people out that I'm not willing to talk to to their face, just skip. It's like 10 minutes long. Just skip after that. There's there's some more fun stuff that happens later. Anyway, peace. Yo, yo, yo. Welcome back to the Wick Walk. I uh, decided to change my intro from what's up to yo, yo, yo because I got tired of the other one. got tired of listening to it <clears throat> in the replays. So, I killed it. I'll probably get tired of yo-yo-yo here pretty quick, too. Uh, there's a lot of those that I'll go through. Hey, that's me trying to be funny to put off the inevitable, which is this is not a fun thing to talk about. And in fact, I didn't really even want to talk about it, but I feel like this is a, an outlet and it's a healthy way for me to get thoughts and feelings off my chest and potentially start a dialogue. Probably not start a dialogue because the chances of anyone actually listening to this segment are very slim. But um, yesterday had a uh, was scrolling through on my um, Facebook feed and I went to, I had some friend requests. I'm notorious for ignoring friend requests for a long time. (laughs) So if you are somebody that has requested to be my friend on Facebook, it's probably taken a long time for me to respond to it. Um, I don't know. I don't actually know why. It's funny because I find myself accepting all of them anyway, even though most 
let's say the, the majority of the people that I'm friends with, not that I have anything against them but on a personal level. I don't, I'm not really interested in the things that they're posting. But at the same time, I don't really ever go on Facebook except to run ads or interact with some of the groups that I am a part of. So anyway, again, that's me putting off the inevitable. So I'm scrolling through the old feed and I get to my friend requests and, you know, I'm bored uh, and I start to scroll down <coughs> on the friend requests page and there's this little section in that area of Facebook which is people you might know and and there's also, I think depending on the app you're using there's also a section for these are your contacts like from your phone anyway I scrolled through and was almost immediately greeted with an image of a person that I have not thought about in a couple of years and when 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 you when you purposely try to put so much distance between you and another person or you and another thought and then it's sort of shoved into your face it can be kind of abrasive and kind of unwelcome. Um, ah, screw it, I'm just going to tell you what happened. So, I have not been Facebook friends with my ex-wife for a couple of years. And I don't have anything against her. This is not... She's never going to hear this. But if and if she ever does, this is not a, a rant against you. This is a rant against just the issue. Um, but I was presented with her profile. And like an idiot, like an absolute moron, I clicked on it. I don't even, like I honestly don't care, but it's just one of those like, oh, I'll just follow this line down and see what happens. But uh, turns out it was a huge mistake. So this next little bit is going to be mostly about my emotional immaturity, just so everybody's aware. Anyway, so I click, and long story short, I did not know this, but she is, I believe, remarried. I don't actually know if, I haven't, I haven't followed it enough to know if they're actually married, but I did see a picture, she is pregnant, and all excited about it, and all this stuff. Now, that's, you know, gay for her, that's good, that's, that's fun, that's cool. The thing that really bothered me was when I, right as I was leaving, as I was like, oh, okay, well, I should get away from this because it's just going to cause me emotional trauma. Again, not not because I'm jealous or want to be back with her, just, oh, well, that was the, that was the person she wanted to be with all along. That's, I'll just leave it at that. So, uh, the thing that bothered me, and I think... I think I, I need to gen- generically apologize for how much this podcast has turned into a rant against certain members of my family, but my whole family, my whole family, all my brothers and sisters, are listed at the top of the list of the friends that we have in common. Now, why, why on earth would my siblings, my parents, now I understand the technology you don't think, oh, I'm going to go unfollow this person. 
And I understand, like, they liked her, I guess. But what happened to, like, picking sides and loyalty? Like, how, how is that... How does that supposed to make me feel? When I'm just having a great day or whatever, and then I happen to see this. And, uh, and then it turns out that they're all still friends. Which means they see these posts... And I didn't look to see, but I'm, I can almost guarantee that some of them liked some of these posts. And again, I understand, like, there's no real need to, like, overtly be a dick and unfriend somebody for actions that somebody else took. Like, I get it that the separation of our relationship is on me. And that's an issue that I'm dealing with. And it's not really theirs, but... Why, why, why is that a thing? I, I, if any of my family members are listening to this, you, shame on you. Like, think about that for a second. Think, honestly, think about that. And I, I understand too, this is a bit passive aggressive of a, of a medium for me to do this. Hopefully by the time I've released this episode, I've actually said something to them. <laughs> uh, if not, it'll be like everything else where I'm just sort of like, putting everybody on blast in public without actually saying anything, which is an error. It's a problem of mine, but I feel more comfortable doing it this way. Anyway, why, how is that not like the first thing you do? Like your brother gets divorced and the first thing you do is not, Oh, I can't really like, I got to pick sides here. I can't really be friends with, with you. Now, again, I haven't even thought about it in a couple of years. So why would I have, brought anything up with any of them you know what I mean but at the same time it's like these are little things this is not a it's not a big deal like the other question I would ask is how do you think Sue feels I know that Sue has seen her profile and I know that Sue has seen it the same thing that all of my siblings and my parents are still friends with me on Facebook again this is a small thing being friends with someone on Facebook doesn't mean that there's any emotional attachment. All it speaks to is a temporary lapse in judgment, which has been perpetuated by the lack of focus put on it. You just didn't make the change and you didn't think about it because it's not important enough to you to think about what that could affect, how that could affect somebody else. Well, I have now dug up an emotion that I did not think I had, and now I'm upset. So, uh, I'm going to sign off of this particular segment. Hopefully, by the time I come back and record the next segment, I'll have something happier, more positive to say. And hopefully by the time, really hopefully by the time this episode is released, I will have brought this up like a man to my family. And I'll let you know in the next segment, or maybe in the intro or something, whether or not I've done that. Anyway, peace. Hope you enjoyed that, or I hope you weren't totally offended or or deeply hurt or whatever by that. Honestly, I just hope that somebody's listening, but it doesn't really matter if anybody is or not. Um, the next few segments, I'm just going to let run. I'm going to separate them by whatever random transition audio I can come up with. 
Um, so I'm not going to do this, the interjection for each one. I talk about some cool things. We went to a cool grand opening that had me thinking about some things. Um, uh, I talk about ideas versus the execution of those ideas, idea versus implementation, which is something that's huge in business, but also in a personal, in my personal, um, life talking about entrepreneurship and the rat race, which that segment will probably get aired from my Facebook page later today as well. I'm probably going to redo that one, but anyway. Um, and then, uh, the last segment for this week's episode talks about thinking, uh, deeply and understanding, like letting ideas come to you and letting yourself be open to the process of thinking deeply. Anyway, so check it out. Um, I am going to do an extra or an outro as they say at the end. So we'll see you then. Yo, yo, yo. Welcome back to another edition of the Wick Walk Thought. Um, this evening, Sue and I had the pleasure to go to the TBC East Village Grand Opening event. Uh, first of all, these people know how to throw a party. And second of all, this, the design concept is, it's amazing. If you're in San Diego, you need to go to the TBC East Village location. TBC stands for the Boxing Club, so the Boxing Club East Village. Check it out. It's just, you, you've never seen a gym like this, let alone, yeah, it's, I, I thought that the, the Boxing Club in La Jolla, the one where I train, was like the pinnacle of a gym combined with a, an actual, like, training boxing gym. Because it's better than, it's it's better put together, and it's you know we have a better facility than any other gym I've ever seen. But this kind of puts it to shame. <laughs> anyway, the 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 event got me thinking because I noticed it's, it's interesting how uh, when you get people out of their comfort zone, how they deal with that. Because parties, I mean, parties aren't really my thing. Um, you do okay, I'll have a, have a drink or whatever and go and talk to people and hang out. But usually I find my way to the same friends that I would talk to anywhere else. Um, and I essentially just have a conversation like I would have with them, you know, after training or, you know, at home or whatever. Um, but it was interesting just to look around and see the different types of people that had shown up to this event. Some of them, like trainers and other people other people at the boxing club some of them are celebrity-ish friends of the boxing club's owner and 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 uh, um that showed up and but just sort of seeing um the difference in like why people were there and what they were looking for because there were a lot of people that i not that i know everybody but there were a lot of people that i'd never seen before and it kind of turned into it, it felt, by the time we left, it felt kind of like, you know, it's more like a nightclub than a boxing club, um, which I think is great. I mean, that's kind of the, the vibe they were going for, for, for tonight, to make it a grand opening event. They wanted to make it kind of a big deal. But um, I just thought it was interesting because you, know, you, you make people uncomfortable and, and their sort of their innermost truth comes out. You, know, you had some people that really enjoy being at parties and get a couple of drinks in them and they start to loosen up and they start to have a really good time. And other people, they go to those things and they don't really want to be there 
maybe they have a couple of drinks, but they're not really having a good time. And then other people who kind of, they know their, they know their lane. And they show, like, they, there were some of the celebrities, the more famous people that showed up. They came, and they needed to make a, an appearance. They needed to put some FaceTime in with, with the owner I and mean, say hi. And then they left. And I think that's fine. I mean, they know they're not there to party. They're not there to socialize. They're there because they want to support what the, what the gym is doing. And also um, because they know that having their face there is good for the gym. And they like the, the gym's owner. I mean, I, I totally respect that. Um, but it's just interesting how there's this other category of people. And I, I, don't, I don't think there was anybody specifically at this event that was in this category. But it just reminded me that a lot of times when I've been to these types of parties in the past... You get this category of people that are like there and they get there super early and they never want to leave because the party is somehow going to give them something like they're waiting for something to happen at the party um, as opposed to like knowing why they're there doing showing up having a purpose and then leaving when they're ready like I don't when I, we, we went and we knew when we got there we were going to stay there for an hour maybe. And we ended up totally by accident showing up at the same time as like probably our best like couple friends of, of, that I train with. And then we left with them and came back to our house and watched an episode of Sharp Objects and had some pizza. Like, but we kind of knew something like that was going to happen anyway because we weren't really interested in staying there for a long time. So anyway, I just think it's interesting how if you depend on other people or uh, events or outside sources to give you like the validation that you need as a person, it's probably something a little bit off. You probably need to, you know, get a little bit more solid in who you are and what you're trying to do. Um, and just a thought. I would walk that. Okay, peace out. Yo. So, this is a different version of a wick walk. I'm in my car, driving wick away from the dog park. You can probably hear it back there. That's wick's contribution to this segment. Also, I apologize for the the sound of the car in the background. Um, but I think actually this app will do a pretty good job of cutting that sound out. So we'll see how it does. <laughs> anyway, um, I wanted to, it's crazy how you just like things that you think about a lot kind of pop up in interesting ways. Um, I've always had this inter- like this, this, um, theory or not even a theory. It's like, a just a thought about the difference between an idea and the implementation of that idea. So there's a difference between uh, the way that, that something is supposed to work and the way that it's designed to work and then how it actually ends up working. And I think, in general, uh, this is a, it goes much deeper and it's more pervasive, meaning it's like you see it more than you think you do or it, it applies more than you think it does. In my case, anyway, it does. I, I tend to get sold on the idea of something way sooner than I actually consider the implementation of that same idea, like what it actually looks like in practice. 
because the theory again that's like the theory of the idea works differently than than the actual way that um, I my brother um, Eric is a software developer and we used to talk a long long time ago we used to work for the same company and uh, he we used to talk about this all the time that they would get new software developers they'd hire new software developers and they would hire them he said he prefers to work with software developers that didn't that aren't like formally educated in software development um, in other words he prefers people that are kind of self-taught and he said because so often the theory of how something is supposed to work in a web development uh, space is vastly different from how it actually does work and the problem is that a lot of these formally trained educated developers uh, they can't they don't know how to make their way past the way things are supposed to work they get caught up on oh and this is the way that it's supposed to work and if it doesn't work that way then they they can't really move past that whereas someone who's self-taught the only way that they know how to do things is to work until it works and so they know how to hack it and how to make workarounds and how to you know, connect things in that you wouldn't think and how to think outside the box and all that kind of stuff because they don't know what the theory is. They just know, well, you know, I, I kind of know how the language works, how the, the programming language works. Um, and so I'm going to, you know, move forward and, and just keep keep trying to make it work and try different things. So it's just interesting that in, in that, that concept has so many different applications. Um, even like just this last weekend, uh, like the past two weeks or so it's interesting you see the juxtaposition of two two very good ideas and one had more emphasis on the execution and one has more emphasis on selling the idea and you see the difference in the output so we went about a week and a half about a week ago actually now um in fact i think it's exactly a week ago sue and i went to see this apartment complex um because we our lease is up in november so we're looking for a new place to to move to and we found a place and uh, when we went to this place, we were incredibly impressed with the way the office looks. You, when you walk in, it's it's very visually impressive, and it looks very nice. And then all the amenities, the common areas, the pool, the lounge areas, all these things as we went through, very impressive. Then we went into the actual rooms, like the, the, uh, the units that we were looking at. Again, very impressive the way that it's all put together in concept. And then, as and then you know, we were pretty sold on it. And uh, then, after a couple of days, we started talking, and we realized there are some there are some issues here. Like we don't they don't have like security patrol. Um, their their garage is basically open to the public. Like anybody could just walk into the garage. And in fact. They had had some problems with vandalism in the past. Um, and there just were some other issues. Like anybody can, and this is not a huge issue, but anybody can walk into the into the, the complex. There's no like fob. It's not like a gated community. So anybody can get in. Anybody can use the elevator. So literally any, any door is open to the public, which again, that's not a huge issue because if you have a house, it's technically open to the public. Um... But, you know, for what we were, would end up paying there, it, it, you know, it just became, I just started to realize that the, the idea of it was more impressive than what we would actually be living in um, because of the, the, some of the risks that would go along with it that just weren't really worth it, you know, in our opinion. And then now you juxtapose that with last night we went to um, 
we went to a, a grand opening for the boxing club, the gym that I work at. They opened up a new location in closer to downtown San Diego. And when we showed up there, now that place, we when we showed up, it wasn't even done. So you, you could tell that there was stuff that still needed to be finished. You could tell they weren't quite ready to open, but like they were doing their grand opening event just to bring everybody in there. And in that instance, and when they were telling the story about what they were doing and knowing the guy that had the vision to do it, um, they put so much into the execution of the idea. Like they were, they, they, they draw banks wouldn't fund them. They were, they were architects that didn't believe in the vision and the guy, Artem, the, the owner, um, that put the whole thing on, he had a very specific vision and you could tell that the point of that whole, uh, you know, that whole location, that whole facility is that there's a specific vision and it's going to be realized. The vision is going to be realized, not, okay, well, we have this really good idea and we're going to keep selling you on the idea. You could like feel that it was going to happen and you saw the, you, it wasn't just, again, it, it wasn't just, you weren't just being sold on an idea that didn't really have anything to back it up. This was actually, what, what, what we saw was less than the idea itself. Like we saw it up front, but you could see that the finished product was going to be true to the original idea. Um, so I just think it's interesting when you approach an idea, you approach a, you know, a, a relationship or a business venture or anything like that. A lot of time, and I, this is me speaking from my own personal experience. I have a tendency to get sold on the idea before I've considered whether that idea can be implemented or executed in the way that it's being sold. And, uh, and the problem is that ideas are only that they're only ideas. It's not actually anything except just a thought in someone's mind until it can be converted into an implemented, like an actual thing. Um, and so just in general, I think it's important. Uh, the lesson for me is, you know, it's important to not let ideas supersede in your own mind. Don't let the idea of something, um, it, it comes actually on both sides. So if you're the one making something and you have an idea, you can't let the idea um, you can't let the, the difficulties of the implementation of the idea change the idea. Like it's important when you're building something that the vision remain intact because if you sell out, that's the whole thing with selling out. If you, if you sell out on the vision, on the idea, then you're not going to have anything like nothing will be implemented. But on the flip side, if you're the consumer, like in a consumer setting, where you're the, like the recipient of the idea, the idea is only that. And if you can't either see the connection between idea and execution, or there is no connection between idea and execution, it's probably not going to work. And the idea can be the greatest idea of all time. But if there is no clear path to implementation, it doesn't mean anything. It's completely useless. It's just words. So, um, yeah, I don't really even know uh, if that makes sense or w what the final point is there. Um, but that was just a thought that I had. So, okay, peace out.
what's up? Here we go. This is take like 104 on this particular thought. Uh, I keep getting interrupted and or uh, distracted, like I'm distracted right now, by a for sale sign on a truck that I should not be paying attention to. Anyway, this quick walk thought is going to be about something that I am uh, dealing with on a personal and business level right now, and that is uh, the truth about entrepreneurship. Um, I had this thought pop into my head, and usually my thoughts don't come in words. Usually my thoughts are like emotions or whatever, but every once in a while, I'll get like a full, complete thought. And this one was, entrepreneurship is not an escape from the rat race. If anything, it's the exact opposite. Because I don't think that it's really possible to escape the rat race. The rat race meaning the constant daily boring struggle of trying to get ahead and you really never do and one out of a million maybe makes it big and jumps a bunch of steps but really it's a slow arduous painful process to get ahead now interestingly enough as there's a total other episode or segment but getting ahead traditionally we don't talk about this but getting ahead is just relatively speaking we all just want to get ahead of what? Of someone else. Sometimes we'll talk about wanting to get ahead of where we were a year ago, but that's not what it's about. But anyway, entrepreneurship has a tendency to seem sexier than it is. Because, you know, you think what you're getting is freedom. What you think you're, what you're getting, you think that what you're getting is um, autonomy and the ability to set your own prices and the ability to set your own work hours, do whatever you want. Or, or you think it's just the, the ability to do the thing that you want to do, like the, to work on the stuff that you want to work on, to work with the people you want to work with, etc. But what you realize, usually it takes six months to a year, but about that point you start to realize that entrepreneurship is really just responsibility. That's all it is. In fact, if I can borrow a metaphor real quick, think about, I'm going to use the Star Wars metaphor, because I think that's the most obvious for people, but think about the difference between a stormtrooper and Han Solo. Okay? This is a classic, classic example of the difference between a corporate, uh, well, corporate employee, we'll put it that way, and a freelancing entrepreneur, okay? Now, we can see the obvious surface differences between the two. Obviously, first of all, the stormtroopers, uh, they, they don't really have any freedom. They walk in formation. They do what they're told. They're soldiers, so they do whatever they're told. They don't really have a say in anything, um, and they... Um, yeah, they just don't get to say anything, and they just have to do what they're told. And then you look at Han Solo, and he does whatever he wants, whenever he wants. He talks to people he wants to, he shoots people he wants to. He answers to nobody. Now, those are the surface differences, and it's easy to see, um, to make Han's job out to be this really sexy job. But you forget about the responsibility that Han has. If you think about the entire... Return or um, uh, Empire Strikes Back movie. What is happening with Han in that entire entire movie? 
he's trying to get the Millennium Falcon to work. Not just not just fly faster, but get it to get off the ground. He's trying to get it to go the way that it's supposed to. So in theory, yeah, he's he's got the ship that went 0.3 past light speed, right? But he can't get it to go light speed, period. So in, in theory, we talked about this in the previous thing, in theory, he has the fastest ship ever. It's only if he can get it to work. I apologize for the wind again. shows up to his post, he does his thing, and he goes back to his barracks, and he hangs out, eats some food, talks to his other stormtrooper buddies or whatever, doesn't have to worry about where his next paycheck's coming from, where his next meal is coming from, it's all part of the, it's all part of the system, right, he's part of a bigger entity, and so it's not, I mean, I'm obviously, obviously there's some good and evil, uh, aspects to what we're talking about here where although ironically enough we talk about stormtroopers and we talk about Han Solo from an objective sort of Judeo-Christian moral sense some of the stormtroopers are probably better people than Han was when we first met him he was a smuggler he was a cheat he was a liar a thief he's in debt he was a, an alcoholic for lack of a better term a murderer right but not not a very good dude but he turns around, and so we love him, and all we ever can ever think him think about is how he saves Luke at the end, and so that's why he's a good guy. And all the stormtroopers are always shooting at them. Well, the stormtroopers are just kind of doing their job. They're not really, they're not really self-serving or anything. They're just they're, they're doing exactly what they're told to do. Sometimes small dogs get really angry at Wick, and he doesn't do anything. Like they're still, we're like 50 feet away, and they're still pissed off. Anyway, so that, the whole point of that is, you know, with um, it, you can't just see Han and think only the sexiness of freedom. Or another example, Pirates of the Caribbean, right? Jack Sparrow versus Commodore Norrington, I think his name is, or any of the sailors on the, on the ships. The um, Obviously, we see those movies, and Commodore Norrington's the bad guy, and Jack Sparrow's the good guy. And without quabbling about morals, think about this. In the same sense, what is Jack trying to do the whole time, the entire first movie? He's the hero. He's the good guy. He's the entrepreneur. right? What's he trying to do? He's trying to find a ship, let alone be a pirate. He's spending the whole movie all that time just trying to find a boat to sail on right that's that's all, that's all he's doing is trying to find the boat and commodore norrington has the best ships in the ocean at his disposal at any time so it, interesting you know you get to think when you think about entrepreneurship when you think about going out on your own you got to think about resources right sometimes what you have the what you have access to when you're part of a larger organization, is more resource, more thrust, more forward propulsion. In fact, here's another cool little uh, metaphor that works in this with this thing. If you think about, um, a lot of times we talk about smaller being more agile, 
Like we like being part of a small team because we can move quickly. Well, that's true if you're talking about lateral movement. So side to side, stopping fast, starting fast, that kind of stuff. If you want to talk about like actual speed levels and actual momentum and the ability to cross real distance, there is no even there's not even a comparison. You think about the difference in terms of forward propulsion. We'll use a more realistic example. The difference between a cruise ship and a jet ski. Now, the cruise ship is going to take a day to turn around. Right? Being, I'm exaggerating, but it's going to take a while to turn around. And it's going to be able to cruise way faster and for way longer than the jet ski is. So, all of the jet ski's ability to maneuver in and out of some of the small micro little waves and do some cool things on a small, small level, that jet ski's never going to really do anything from a, it's never going to cross the ocean. It's never going to do anything worth talking about. Uh, at least not objectively so. There, I mean, obviously, like I said, I can do some tricks, can jump around. And so in the context of where you are and maybe where your customers are, maybe you can surprise enough people to make money and then, you know, go forward. But if you want to cross the ocean, you need something bigger. Now, jet ski, obviously, is not, it's not a perfect comparison because size doesn't necessarily equal ability to cross the ocean. But my point is that when you when you think about entrepreneurship and you think about I want to go off on my own because I'm going to be able to move quicker, I'm going to be able to be more agile, I'm going to be able to uh, do more things. Don't confuse agility with longevity, and don't confuse agility with accomplishment, because being agile doesn't get you anywhere. It just moves you around. Again, it's more about lateral movement than it is about forward propulsion or speed or momentum. Another thing, too, think about So let's go back to the Star Wars analogy. How many times could those Star Destroyers get hit, get direct hits from those ships and not really have any effect? Sure, the people in those particular spots on the ship would be affected, but overall, it didn't slow the thing down at all. But how many times did one of those ships need to get hit? One of the small ones, the X-Wings or the Y-Wings or the TIE Fighters? The answer is one time. One time. So, the truth is, although you're more agile, yeah, and although you have the ability to avoid things better than something larger can, you don't have the ability to withstand like they do. So, when you go off on your own, you accept not only the responsibility for everything, but also all of the risk, right? So you can't, you can't go into these situations. You can't consider entrepreneurship as just uh, a means to get away from some boss you don't like. Because that's not, that's not what entrepreneurship is. Entrepreneurship is signing up for responsibility. It's signing up to add risk. It has really nothing to do with any of those other things. And so I think, again, the big the point is, if you're me, or if I'm you, I would not even consider starting my own business or moving off into the entrepreneurial world 
if the primary reason is because I don't like my boss or I don't like my hours or my pay or I don't, I don't really like what I'm doing. It has to be in your soul. Like that, everything that I just described to you has to get you excited. And I mean legitimately excited. To the point where you're like, yes, yes, that, that to me is what I want to be doing. I don't want to be tied down. I want to be, I want to accept that risk. I want to, I want to go and do things because, you know, so not, not everybody stays small. Sometimes you can, you can find a way to, to scale and get bigger and that works out. So anyway, that's what I do. You know, sometimes when you think about something for too long, you get it in your head that the way you're thinking about it is the way you should be thinking about it. And sometimes, sometimes when you take a step back from it and then it starts to crystallize maybe in a different way. And you start to realize, excuse me, sorry. It starts to seem that maybe the right way isn't hitting it on the head the way that you thought. And actually, it's a little bit different. See, I've been dealing with this issue, trying to reconcile some of my own um, personal philosophies about business and about consulting and and reconcile that with revenue. (laughs) In other words, how can I do business the way I think business is supposed to be done in my industry and also make money, right? And I've been looking... One of the big things with me is I've been thinking back over my decade and a half of experience in consulting, and I've just realized there's 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 different ways that companies that consulting firms do business, and in in, in my particular niche, they basically either charge for like a an upfront event style implementation fee to build things out or they charge a retainer right some still do the hourly route but most of the time people are pushing for retainer in fact i kind of leaned into hourly because it was the most i felt it was the most honest because although it's hard to tie, I mean, I believe in results. I believe that if, you're a, if, you're, if your efforts are not producing more than they're costing, you're just not worth it. Like you're not, you're not, um, you, you're, you should fire yourself. <laughs> so, and I think that's true for employees and for consultants as well. But, but my issue has always been in our industry, if you go the route of the implementation event, 
you, the business runs, assumes all the risk, both financially, because they put in the money to start, but also from an implementation standpoint, because they're banking that the company they're going to work with is going to get enough done in the, a certain amount of time that they're going to be able to go home and do something with it. There's something cathartic about an event, emotionally cathartic, but not, it doesn't always, that emotional catharsis doesn't always translate into revenue because if you don't get everything done and you don't turn it on, the chances are, and this is just statistically speaking, chances are much more likely it's never going to get turned on. Like, much more likely. Which means, if you go to one of these events and you don't get everything done, then you wasted your money. Again, statistically speaking. There are outliers, that, which usually are, are uh, shown in testimonial reels, where the investment pays for itself in the first month or two. Right? But even in that case, you know, it pays for itself initially, but what about like the upkeep? What about iteration? What about, what about establishing a baseline and then improving on it? Like business and marketing systems aren't static. It's not just if you set it up and it's done. Right? It takes time. It takes iteration. It's, it's, a, it's a living, breathing thing. It's not like a one and done but most, you know, most consultants um, don't have the patience for long-term stuff. And most business owners don't have the revenue for long-term stuff. And so it becomes a problem. But then also on the other side, there's the retainer model. And the retainer model is a little bit better because it, it is supposed to give you, gives the, the consultant a little bit more time to be more directly involved, to go to get a little bit more um, indoctrinated and like bought in and you know part of the process. But what happens there is the retainer is always the same amount, and unless you as a consultant can maintain a consistently growing return on the investment they're paying with you, meaning if they pay you $5,000, you have to continually make them more and more and more money. Otherwise, your variable return on the return is decreasing. Anyway, that, that's a, a concept that I won't get into too much here. I might do another segment for next week talking about that concept because I think it's interesting and we don't really talk about it very much but you if you're as a consultant if you're not improving your return then your your customer shouldn't continue to pay you the same amount anyway so my thing has been trying to figure out a way to reconcile all of those things together the concept that you know, it takes time to build things out. Um, and also, once the return starts to decrease, once you go into truly what I call maintenance mode, you don't 
you know, it doesn't make sense necessarily for you to keep getting as much revenue as you're getting for. So, so I was trying to come up with some different modelings for it. One model was to have people just start out with a lump sum and then basically gradually decrease what they pay over time, make it like a six-month program. Then I thought, that's just so complicated to try and sell that. It's like there's so many, so many pieces to it. And no worries. So many pieces to it. And it, and it just seemed, I, even as I was trying to explain the concept and sell people on it, really work because my thought was as you go as I go basically I'll come in and provide the initial go 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 wick doesn't want to walk into the water admittedly uh, I don't blame him but um, so the idea was I would provide the initial consulting and implementation personally to set the baseline for the first couple of months and then I would bring somebody on and gradually over the course of six or seven months transition them to be like a part-time contractor uh, for that for the client and then eventually I would just work myself like I would phase myself out of it completely um, and again it's just it was too too complicated to try and sell because I had to teach too many concepts like I would have to teach you as a business owner shouldn't be continue to pay someone the same amount. I got to teach all these things. It doesn't really work. <clears throat> and so then I, then I thought, okay, what if I tried to simplify it, and I, and I bring it down so that instead of people paying a bunch and then paying less and less and less, I just normalize the cost. So I eat a little bit of the cost in the upfront setup, and which I make up for later. I thought, okay, that could work. So I could do like a one upfront fee for the, the covers the six months or a six months worth of payments, right? But again, I still, have to, I still have to explain the whole concept of having somebody else come on board. And so it didn't really make sense. And then it dawned on me, it occurred to me that the simplest way to do it is to not actually burden the customer. This is the, this is the epiphany. And if you've listened for the epiphany through all 10 minutes of this, I can applaud you. <clears throat> but the epiphany was, instead of burdening the customer with the education, why not just separate, differentiate myself with quality, do all the same things that I was talking about doing, and then uh, provide a lower cost service. So basically, my... My truly differentiating factor is that I can provide high level, a super high level of service and quality at a lower cost, lower monthly cost, way lower monthly cost than anybody else is, is uh, charging because over time I make up the money by keeping people on for longer. The idea is over time I outsource most of the actual work that's being done to someone else and then there will be some technical pieces where communication would have to be centralized and uh, centralized communication and some other pieces but if I consolidated everything it actually fits with my brand a little bit better because then everything just becomes digital handyman services instead of trying to do this like 
mentorship, like on-site overhaul, transition to handyman, transition to mentorship thing. Um, it just makes more sense for everything to be under the umbrella of handyman. It's my brand. And then essentially my job becomes find people, get them set up, and then get them transitioned to people to outsourced uh, resources. Um, so anyway, that's kind of where it's still kind of not fully formed in my head. And I got to go find people to do that with because most of my clients are on like a thousand bucks a month, if that. Um, so the idea would be to put it at 3000 and I don't actually make money on the 3000 until month six, something like that. Um, so anyway, just kind of an interesting thought, interesting concept. And it's funny, the, really, again, the point to bring this full circle, the point is that it's funny how the, how your mind can chew and chew and chew and chew and chew on something. And then when it comes out, it's actually different. Anyway, think about it. Thank you all for listening. The one of you that will listen to this. Also, I'm just speaking to future me because I'm probably the only one that's actually going to listen to this. But thank you all for listening. Remember, as always, you can uh, drop in some comments or some thoughts. If you go to anchor.fm forward slash think like me, uh, you can send me some messages that will get uh, featured at the beginning of each episode, um, especially if they're really good. You can also uh, we're, we've turned on listener support. So and I say we I mean, I've turned on listener support. So again, if you feel like being tortured with more of my random ramblings, feel free to do so. Um, and uh, we will see you on the flip side. As always, my name is Brett Martineau. This is Think Like Me or Don't. We'll talk to you next week. Peace.